0: Hey, before we hop into this week's episode, I wanted to give a trigger warning and remind you to just check the show notes because we may be discussing sensitive topics. Um, If this episode's too heavy for you, we'll catch you next time. But if it's okay and you want to tune in, I look forward to sharing the space with you. I'm just trying to make it right these people won't let me go I'm just trying to live my life I just need space to grow I'm just trying to make it right these people won't let me go let me grow let me go let me grow let me go they should know they should know they should know they should know I'm just trying to live my life I just need space to grow I'm just trying to make Welcome to the Tea with Bree. I'm your host, Brie. Thanks for listening. The Tea with Bree podcast is focused on deep, honest, and vulnerable conversation. Each week I sit down with a different guest in order to have that conversation. Every week we'll start with my guest's bio, an intro to how we know each other, and then we'll go into a deep dive conversation about whatever topic they brought to me that week. This week I am joined by my guest, Angelina Alanis. Angelina uses she, her pronouns and has a background in business, politics, and the service industry. Angelina currently works as Communication and Partnerships Coordinator for Festival Beach Food Forest, as an event coordinator for a Queda Buena Tequila, and as a yoga teacher. She specializes in creating yoga classes for individuals and focuses on creating spaces where people feel safer connecting to their bodies and moving from a place of curiosity and pleasure. She is queer, Latina, born and raised in Austin, and centers all of her work around creating more nourished and equitable communities. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Uh, I'm so so excited to talk to you like I said before we started recording um and I always ask like how do we first meet and now that I see you I remember but I was like how do we how did we connect mm-hmm. life is so wild and you're like I volunteered out you think that makes sense because my life is a whirlwind <laughs> and so yeah that's Thank you for volunteering. I still very much love Out Youth. They're probably one of the best orgs I've ever worked for. So happy that it it brought you into this space. And I also saw your note about how you're challenging yourself to be in more spaces this year. And I'm really excited to share this space with you today.
1: Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk.
0: <laughs> okay, so today's topic is about yoga and finding yourself. I've been telling people like, I'm on a journey right now of like coming back to myself almost like I moved away for six months. We're calling it the six months sabbatical. So I moved, (laughs) I moved back to Connecticut to take a job and be closer to family. And during that time I, uh, sort of regressed or relapsed back into my eating disorder, which is my therapist and I are unpacking it, but it comes from a place of perfectionism and control. Um, for a long time, probably my whole life, I started having an eating disorder when I was twelve. So, my whole life, I just feel like I had to be perfect and unpacking the like shoulds of my life. Like I should go to college. I should be a good student. Like I was listening to a podcast today talking about like you're shitting yourself or you're shitting all over yourself, which I found really funny because <laughs> it's that's that's me. That's that's literally the core of my ED is control and perfectionism and the the level of perfectionism I hold to myself, which is hard for me. Um, especially like thinking about yoga. Like I always say, I want to try yoga and I've done it maybe probably like once or twice. Um, but my thing is like if I'm not good at something, I don't do it. Like I just full on avoid it. Cause for me, perfect is better than like not doing it at all. I'm trying to switch that mindset to like done is better than perfect. So I'm excited to talk to you about yoga and body stuff, and I wanted to first know, like, what got you into this sort of work of of yoga, but then also, like, this body, like, just connecting to, to pleasure and enjoyment, because I feel like a lot of, you know, women or people who identify as women or queer people or people of color just feel like this sort of disconnect with our body a lot more than, like, cis hetero white thin people do. And so I'm rambling, but that's my excitement (laughs) for this conversation.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, What brought me to yoga? I have a dance background, which probably contributed to the ED as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But out of high school, I was looking for a space to get moving again um, in kind of a creative way, something that I missed from dancing. And so when I initially brought to myself into yoga classes i was going to lots of like power flows like how high can i get my leg and like how far can i twist and um like really pushing my body like through the different um poses that were being offered and Mm -hmm. it wasn't till i started and then i took a break because i started ed recovery and i was like well this isn't compatible with what i'm trying to do right now getting nourished um healing myself Mm -hmm. and then i came back to it um probably about a year or so into recovery and challenged myself to skip a a section of the flow every single time that I went. Mm. I was like, I'm going to make this different. I'm not going to treat this like every other exercise activity that I've done before in my life. Like I'm going to go into it with the intention of finding a moment of rest, um, of honoring what my body is telling me. So if I can't catch my breath, then I'm going to stop. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to like live in that discomfort of like not doing what the teacher is telling you to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that really reframed the practice for me um, and it really helped me bring movement back into my life in a way that wasn't coming from a place of oh I need to change my body or Mm. I need to get stronger or get something else out of this except for just that space to be present and breathe and I had a lot of really great yoga teachers um, that helped me kind of find that sense of like getting out of the perfectionism out of it. Mm. Um, I had one teacher tell me, oh, if you got sore, then you didn't do yoga. And I was like, oh, my God, that would blow the minds of so many people who are in like Western style yoga classes today. Mm -hmm. Um, And just really coming back to like, okay, the breath is the most important part. And so if you're not aware of your breath, and you're not breathing, then you're not honoring the practice in its truest form. And there's also the idea that asana so that movement the poses like that's one-eighth of what yoga is Hmm. and so much of that is lost in our classes these days and that's all that a lot of people want to focus on is like what pose am I doing how do I look in this pose Um, and so just remembering to take a step back and being like okay that's one-eighth of this practice like it's way more wholesome than that Um, so that's a bit of like why I came back to it. And also, it coincides with the service industry and a lot of the work that I was doing, bartending and waiting tables and just seeing all these people who weren't being given the space to care for themselves, um, who were struggling with like back pain and leg pains and shoulders and neck and all these issues. Mm -hmm. And the workplaces that we're working in don't give you um, the time, the resources to help yourself through those issues and so some of my very first classes were for my coworkers, and finding poses and flows that could target some of the issues that they were having and hopefully make their day-to-day job life a little bit easier um and then from there that kind of niche developed into helping senior citizens I do a lot of privates for seniors these days um, And so really the overall focus is just trying to bring this practice that I know can be so helpful, but is often lost in these Western yoga spaces. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, like you said, like feel like they're not good enough to like go to these kinds of classes. And so how can I create a class that makes someone feel comfortable and makes them feel like this practice is for them? Um, Because it is for everybody. Yoga is something that can be for every single body, every single age, um, across the demographics and the gender identities. Like, I think everyone can pull something from this practice that's really valuable. And so how can I help facilitate that and create those spaces? There was something you said just
0: now about the Western yoga practices, and so my therapist and I were talking about like the Western Eurocentric view of, of beauty. And so those two connecting in my head make sense to me of like, even this practice that was founded by brown people <laughs> has now been co-opted in white spaces to a point where I as a black person don't feel invited and it's, and it's or good enough or accepted enough. And, you know, I tell my therapist like, I always I don't know why my eating disorder started but I can tell her like it connected a lot to being raised in a very diverse place but you know starting when I was 12 noticing that like the standards of beauty in the early 2000s was thin white with long hair and I was like well not white my hair is shoulder length if not longer Um, I can be thin. If nothing else, I can be thin. And so like, that's where it started of like, you cannot be considered beautiful until you are thin. And so that just really connected that with me because it's like, I always ebb and flow on like my body journey of like trying to move just for the mental health of it all. Like if I work out in the morning, my mental health is better. Um, But I can get very obsessive when I work out. Because I do build muscle really quickly, um, and like my body does change really quickly when I do work out consistently. And so, you know, I'm starting with a new trainer next month, and she had asked like, "Hey, like this is the stuff I need. Like we'll do we'll do progress photos, which I'm fine with. We'll do something else," she said, and then she goes and weigh-ins. I go, "Oh, like if that's the thing you need, I will bring a scale to you. I will not look at it, but you can track it." because I told her, I was like, I, that's, that's one of my triggers. Like, I cannot know how much I weigh. It just spirals me. And the whole saying, like, your weight is at least an interesting thing about you. And I, and I can accept that and hear that, but it's like, that's fine for everyone but me. Like the level of, of the level to which I hold myself is really unhealthy. And so like, I even now have my doctors, I'm like, I do not want to know how much I weigh. I will turn around. If you actually need my weight for some reason, I'll do it. But if not, I don't understand why you need it but anyway so like just thinking about like all the ways in which like western society has really just traumatized us all even in a even in the practice of just trying to move and feel and be in our bodies and for me to genuinely like feel that if I can't be good at something or if I don't look like other people who are doing a thing I won't even do it
1: yeah I I feel that so much in yoga spaces and it's so frustrating um, because it's so antithetic- antithetical to what yoga is, like in mm-hmm. its root, at its core. And it's like something I try to do because I exist in a thin body. I've always existed in a thin body, um, even from like my most disordered days to my like heaviest days, so to speak, like I've always been thin. Um, and so something that I like try to come As a teacher is like wearing like really loose clothes, like not showing up as that like Lululemon yoga teacher, because Mm -hmm. I know that when I wear that, that's how I'm going to be perceived. Um, And so just kind of playing with like the dynamics of what people expect someone to look like who's teaching yoga, what people expect someone to look like who's doing yoga. Um, And fighting back against this idea that like the, the classes that are out there are like accessible A lot Mm of um, yoga classes are like advertised as like all levels. And then I go to them and I'm like, this is not all levels. Mm -mm. This is not accessible for a lot of the people who could potentially be doing these classes. And someone will show up at that class and be like, oh, this is all levels. Then I have no business doing yoga. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's something that makes me really sad. Uh, So, yeah, I I agree. (laughs) I
0: know. And I I have a really good friend, Gustavo, who teaches yoga and he is... <clears throat> uh, Latinx man and like is gay and like when before we were friends I went to one of his free yoga classes in oh my god and one of the parks down south I can't remember what it's called which one it is now um but it was years ago um and it was a free class and it was all levels and it was him and like two other women that he was with and they would just it was just a really good class for me because it was very much like is it okay if I reposition you? Like, first I'm going to like ask consent before I move you at all, which I feel like a lot of places don't do. Um, And they're like this, you're doing great, but it might be helpful if you do this. Do you mind if I help you get into position? And just like that level of like validation in a space and literally it being all levels and all different types of people, all different looks of people were there. And it's just always interesting to me of like spaces like that when it is, centered by marginalized folks and marginalized folks are leading it it's just a completely different experience than like other places that I've gone and, and had to try to experience yoga And because I really also want to try Pilates which is a different tangent for a minute but I'm always like all my friends who go to Pilates are already like super thin and I'm like I am not <laughs> gonna go to Pilates <laughs> with you girl like if I go I'm gonna go on a random day at like 10 a.m <laughs> no probably like 2 a.m when all the <laughs> moms are doing pickup and no like almost like a private session because it's just like this thing in my head of like oh my God I gonna cry. but it's like not that I'm embarrassed, but it's like the only word I can think of of like I don't even want anybody else to see me struggle because of my perfectionism and my body stuff
1: So yeah, yeah and you like never know with people like there was one girl in my class the other day and, she's thin and white and she came up to me afterward and she's like I've been in chemo for months now and like I haven't been able to find a movement practice that like felt comfortable for my body like felt like something that I could handle and you know I really appreciated this class because it actually was like accessible to me and where I am at with my health and so there's so many things that come up for people around movement around exercise um, so many different things that people need and so it's really great to be able to kind of facilitate those spaces where people are comfortable you know, ignoring what I'm saying and laying on the ground if that's what they need or, you know, doing something slightly different or they actually are able to follow along and they've never been able to follow along through a whole class before and giving people that sense of, like, joy and, mm-hmm. like, satisfaction out of the practice. Uh, and then also, like, staying away from, like, being really careful with how I'm giving information to people. I try to, like, not necessarily say, oh, you should be feeling this stretch here or you, you know make sure that you turn your head this way. It's always like, oh, if this feels comfortable to you, like can you turn your head? Or mm. I feel this stretch here, but you might be feeling it somewhere else. And like wherever you're feeling it, as long as it's not um a negative pain, you know, we are mm-hmm. we're okay with discomfort, um different sensations that can come up as you move through different stretches. And as long as it's not triggering your triggering your fight or flight pain response, then you feel comfortable breathing into that, adjusting it as feels comfortable to you and where you want to feel this stretch. Um, so giving people lots of options and then recognizing that how I'm experiencing something how is going to be different than how everybody else is going to experience it and giving people the okay to be in those spaces like that.
0: Yeah, I like the part you're saying about like honoring your body and listening to your body. And I think that's such an important thing as, as a person who is working through an eating disorder. Um, my therapist wants actually, do you listen to your body's triggers? I'm like I don't even know what that means <laughs> like <laughs> I've gotten so used to ignoring my body right like it's either I pretend that I'm not in it or I'm very obsessive about it right and it's so like it's like well when you are hungry I'm like but I don't I'm like I always have to actually question myself if I'm hungry like am I actually hungry or is it just I know it's time to eat or like has it been a lot like so I, I like what you're saying about like Trying to connect and listen to your body, and if your body's like, no, i'm I'm out, like I can't do that stretch or I can do that stretch and I want to try it more, but that's just really interesting to me of like just learning how to listen to your body again as someone who just is still working on finding that again,
1: yeah. and like especially in exercise places, I feel like we're almost told the exact opposite, like, oh, push <laughs> through it, you right. know work harder, et it cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Like feel the pain or whatever, the burn, something like that. Um. Yeah. So I like that this is completely opposite to that. And a lot of, we don't have a lot of spaces like that where we are. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of places where you're being specifically told to like, listen to your body, honor it, like ignore the other stimuli that are around you. And then coming back to like the physicality of hunger, like hunger cues or something that a lot of us Mm -hmm. lose entirely, especially if you've gone through a struggle with eating with food. And your body will stop sending them because it's a waste of energy. If you're not honoring your body's hunger cues and it's like, oh, why would I waste my valuable energy telling this person that we're hungry if they're not going to feed me regardless? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people coming out of eating disorders, like they're gone. So you have to listen to that logical hunger, that that brain that's saying, oh, it's been three, four hours since we last ate. Like, even if I don't physically feel hunger the way that I'm told hunger should feel, like it's probably a good idea for me to eat. And that logical hunger is real. Um. And then realizing all the different nuances of what your hunger cues are. Maybe it's not like the grumbling in the stomach, the cramping that people expect, but maybe it's your mood or feeling clammy or a dip in energy levels, or maybe you're getting more stressed or more irritable and being able to recognize all those things as hunger cues as well and something that you should honor. And then accepting emotional hunger because it's valid to want to eat when you're sad or upset or angry. And it's not always the best thing to force yourself out of that coping habit if you don't have other ones lined up and realizing that it's okay to let that exist for you if that's where you're at with your journey. And if you're someone who's coming out of eating disorder habits, being able to honor all kinds of hunger, lets your body trust yourself again, um, gives you that permission to eat when you are hungry. It'll know that every time it sends a hunger cue, you're going to respond to it. And eventually those cues can get less, you know, intense or triggered by emotions, et cetera. I'm just taking in that information because I'm like,
0: will there be a day? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 like I said, I'm 33 now. So it's been, what's the math? 21 years, 21 years of like ignoring that. And so the process of like learning that again, I'm like, it's, it's scary, but I'm like, I'll survive it but it's yeah I I have been listening to Glennon Doyle in her podcast with her sister and her wife in her process right now of her recovery journey and so like I I binge listen so like right now like it, I'm still in February like there's just months <laughs> where I'm just like I, I need I needed to not listen for a while so I'm going back and listening um, but right now it's like three episodes talking about her recovering. I just got home and I was like, I can't listen anymore. I need, I need a minute. Um, but just like listening to her journey and obviously hers being way different. Everyone's journey is different, but just listening to it and just, I think it's. And you had put down too about like diet and wellness and just like even now thinking about how the diet and wellness, like. I'm not, not corporation but like the entity of like diet and wellness has changed like it used to be like slim fast and whole 30 and like all these other things and now it's like all i ever see now is like the colding bloom ads everywhere or like all the different supplements you can take and i'm just like we are just all so obsessed with like diet and wellness and like there's just so much then i get mad at myself like there's so much more to life like my podcast listeners don't care what I look like, right? Like they are here (laughs) to listen to anything you enjoy. Like my friends and family don't care what I look like. And so it's also that too, of like trying to get to the root of my stuff too. Like, where is this coming from? I'm like, well, it's diet and wellness culture. Like the society we live in telling us this. And my therapist being like, you have been told that you need to survive in this society. So of course you can know that mentally and still on the other side, you're going to still feed feed into that entity of the world
1: yeah and it's like not as there not only is there so much more to life but there's so much more to health Mm -hmm. like there's so much more to health than what you're eating there's all these socioeconomic factors that are outside of our control there's sleep there's do you go to the Mm -hmm. doctor when you feel like you need to go to the doctor you know there's exercise there's mental health and Especially when people start caring about their food to the detriment of their mental health, like, well, there goes any benefits that could potentially come out of your quote unquote diet mm-hmm. and all the sneaky ways that diet culture has just kind of shape shifted into this wellness culture of like mm-hmm. eating clean or organic or, you know, whole fruits and vegetables or whatever it is. And not only is it not helpful, but it's so elitist Mm -hmm. to expect someone to be able to feed themselves in this very specific way when people have jobs and kids and limited income or are existing in places that don't have access to food or are plagued by pollution. Like if someone's living in a place that doesn't have access to clean water regularly, like it doesn't matter how well they feed themselves, like they're still going to be suffering Mm -hmm. from this other external factor. And it's so like individualist. It's so like stereotypical of the U.S. to be like, oh, you can fix your life if you can fix your food. When in reality, like there's all these other things that are happening in our ecosystem, in our environment that are impacting how people are living, impacting how healthy people are. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole that's a whole other tangent. tangent.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, it's true. I mean, even thinking about living in, in Austin and thinking of the food deserts that like that happen, right there's some neighborhoods in Austin that don't have a grocery store like within walking distance like there's just you know kids who go to school who now I think all of Austin does free lunch but like growing up and like if you didn't qualify for like reduced or free lunch there's kids who just starved or like didn't have food and you know I just think about you know all the people experiencing homelessness and we talk about global warming like all these things that are happening and you're you're right it's the u.s it's that very singular viewpoint of like well if you can't fix your health it's on you like it's just a very much like you problem singular like this is your issue you have to figure it out so it's spending x amount of dollars on groceries because you know stuff has gotten expensive we're in inflation we're about to head into a recession like there's just all these different compounding things and so i will also hold on to that now as i move forward in my life i'm like I can only do my best because the world is literally a dumpster fire and (laughs) there's so many things going on. And what, what can I control as far as it comes to like what I'm eating? Cause it's like, even when like, I've talked to doctors before, like with diet and exercise, exercise, I work out every single day. Like I could work out every day, all day. I could eat salad all day long, love a salad. That's not the point of the conversation, but it's like, even still having to teach I feel like my doctors are like, it's not a one size fits all. Like you telling me diet and exercise doesn't mean shit to me. So please try something else. Or like, if you should suggest diet and exercise to me, I will find another doctor. Like I had a doctor right before I moved and she was probably my favorite doctor I've ever had. Cause she was very much like, what do you want to come from our meetings together? It was almost like therapy. And I was like, well, oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a whole list. So let's, let's go through it. And You know, just to be heard for once and not just be like, well, you were, I'm like, "Nope, that's not, that's not it. And I think that's still also the frustrating part of like, of, of the medical slash diet slash wellness space is like, it's still so vastly dependent on years of racism. If you look at like the BMI and what is considered healthy and all that stuff is like, it's bullshit, but still
1: everyone plays into it. Oh my god, so many things came up as you were talking. I'm trying to like organize them in my mind. <laughs> Firstly, like Austin is are we allowed to cuss on this podcast? I'm so fucking literally. Austin is fucked. Like mm-hmm. one of the things I learned on the campaign that I already know, like we know East Side, West Side different, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we know I-35 segregation is history, like we know these things and There's a 20-year life expectancy difference between parts of East and parts of West Austin, Mm -hmm. 20 years. And that's food access, that's health access, that's environmental racism, that's so many things. Um, And I think people forget like how drastic it is. Like even in one city, there's these huge discrepancies between the quality of people's lives. Um, Racism in like fat phobia, there's studies going back saying that originally like diet culture came from a place of like white people feeling like they were superior to black people because they could control their food and therefore control their weight and so it was a way of like expressing your superiority being thin because you showed that you could control yourself um because they saw that like black people poc like tended to be larger and so like oh this must be because we're superior and we can control our food intake and that's why we look different and we're different than them um what else came up uh Oh, doctors. Doctors are in our society too. And so much of medicine is just like, oh, the last person did this. I'm going to go with it. Don't have time to question that. I'm going to keep moving. Um, And like so many of our studies and things like that don't account for um, stigma. And so a lot of these discrepancies that we can see in health outcomes between like larger and smaller-bodied people come from the stigma that larger-bodied people are faced with when they go interact with our medical or healthcare system. And when you account for that, a lot of those discrepancies between health outcomes, between like people of different sizes, they go away entirely. And so, and also weight cycling. People in larger bodies tend to have had the experience of being told to diet and thus have had the whole whole yo-yo cycle of mm-hmm. like gaining weight and losing weight. And that's really bad for a body. And so if we're not accounting for the effects of weights of weight stigma and weight cycling, on a health outcome and blaming it all on somebody's size, we're missing so much important information and not enough of our research accounts for those factors. There's also the idea or the fact that 95% of people who lose weight regain the weight. Mm -hmm. And two thirds of those people will gain more weight than they lost initially. And I would argue that the 5% of people who are somehow able to keep this weight off are doing so at the detriment to their mental and physical health. Mm -hmm. And so if we treated diets like every other um, solution or like recipe for uh, improving someone's health, like we wouldn't be prescribing them anymore because they have a horrible success rate. Right.
0: Um,
1: And I don't think enough emphasis is being put on that in our medical, medical education. I don't think enough doctors are like actively looking into these kinds of studies or I mean, we're just so seeped in the diet culture that it's kind of accepted as common fact, like, oh, someone is overweight, quote unquote, they must need a diet. Um, Mm -hmm. And so not enough work is being done to kind of remedy that and like correct a lot of these um, misinterpretations that are existing. Mm -hmm. And it's impacting people negatively every day. And the do no harm thing that is supposed (sighs) to come from our medical care is just not not being actualized.
0: Well, that just made me think about, I was I was on a virtual consultation for potentially getting a breast reduction earlier this year. Um, so it's something I've wanted for a long time. And so my doctor did a referral and I met with this like intake woman person and not woman person, this intake person. <laughs> and we're on the call and she was like well what's your height and what's your weight and you know what's your whatever she's like, so she cal- she calculated my BMI and so she's like oh like we can't even talk about surgery till you lose weight I go you even met me in person yet you're just going off of a number she's like well what I can do is refer you to a weight loss surgery specialist first and then I was like excuse whoa 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 I am here because I wanted my boobs to be smaller and you're telling me I need to get surgery to lose weight based off numbers you haven't met me you haven't come in person you've ran no tests you haven't done anything say well because of your BMI we wouldn't even operate on you I'm like you haven't seen me like what if you see me in person and my body is like primed and healthy and can go in like it was just like that was that whole like do no harm thing like I I think I cussed her out on the phone I was like on zoom I was like this isn't your fault but I want you to know like the cycle that you're playing into because it's bullshit like what kind of what is that like you didn't even I'm not I wasn't even in Connecticut at the time I was here for a work trip um but I was like you can't you can't just prescribe a weight loss surgery based off numbers like what are you talking about and so it was just like that I was living for like two days like I just could not shake the level of anger of just like anger and frustration of like even wanting something that is like something for me to feel better about myself made me feel shitty because of numbers that are steeped in racism and bullshit
1: literally yeah bmi is like white men in a world war or something like why are we using this back when we were
0: boiling everything and nothing (laughs) tasted good of course no one weighed anything they didn't want to eat anything nothing tasted good
1: Uh, she made
0: me so she made me so mad I was like oh my
1: god I was livid and the like audacity to like like say that they know your experience better than you based on some numbers like Mm -hmm. you know what you're doing for your body like I don't know one of my epiphany moments I think I was in high school and I was working with this woman named Kendra Austin she's amazing um if you haven't heard of her she's kind of she sounds familiar on Instagram now This was before she was before she was big. Um, She was working with me at Moddy's and we would talk about these kinds of things. And she was like, yeah, like I've lost 100 pounds twice. Um, And like I've been on diet since I was like six years old and I don't do it anymore because it doesn't help me. Um, I know that I'm like healthy and happy without all that and I don't need to lose weight. And people who tell me that I do like don't know me and I'll follow mm-hmm. her Instagram. And sure enough, like she works out more than me. She eats, quote unquote, better than me. Like I see all of her home cooked meals. I see like all of her workout routines. Um And it's so wild because most of society would look at us and assume that I take better care of myself just based on the size of my body. And I know for a fact she does so much more for her overall health and well-being than I like have the time And capacity to do right now Mm -hmm. and it's just so sad that expectation and that like assumption being made like oh because you're height and weight or this like you must need to lose weight like you must not be exercising you must not be eating correctly I'm looking at her Instagram right now I think Kendramaris is her yes I'm like
0: oh my god she's so cool but yeah I'm just yes all of that it's just like and then all, like you were just saying too, like the fact that she has lost 100 pounds twice and yet people would still tell her she needs to lose weight, to lose weight again. Like that's going to solve all of her issues in life.
1: Like she tried. She actually did it. And here we are. So
0: here we are. <laughs> and that's like I, I I, think about this guy that I met when I was in college. He worked at another college. We went to a convention together and he, he was on, <clears throat> I think either oprah or ellen i can't remember but he had lost like a substantial amount of weight like hundreds of pounds and so the person i can't remember his name but the person who interviewed him was like are you happier now you're thin he goes i've always been a happy person i'm just in a different body and i think that also has like helped me too because my therapist is actually like, what will losing weight do for you i was like nothing i'd be the same person she's like okay then why i was like i don't know <laughs> like i wish i could answer <laughs> that question for you I go but it's, it's so that's always something I think of too of like just seeing all these people who are like happy and doing fine and you know and it, it's and it's not like I'm not a happy person but I just think of of how much like in a the way I am now and the way I look now does not keep me from doing anything but it's just always that thing in the back of my head of like would you be happier if you were thinner and like my therapist and I unpacked a lot of stuff that was some really dark heavy stuff I was going through but just thinking about it of just like we only have one life and I, I don't, I don't want to spend it obsessed about my weight and what I look like. And so I, this conversation is helping to heal that, I think. <laughs> um, but it's also just like we go in and it's funny too. It's like, I think about like being, I'm like, I said I'm not 33 and like, I have never had anyone say anything bad about my body. I've never had anyone like, com- like comment negatively on my body. So I think that also surprises people too when they hear that I have an ED like but nothing's ever like quote happened to you to make you have I was like I just societal pressure like I, there wasn't like because people who's like who had a mom who was like always dieting or a mom was always like you need to lose weight it's like my mom was the complete opposite she's like I just want you to be healthy in whatever way that means for you like there was never a parameter around it and same with my doctors growing up and so I think about that often too of like girls now and you know the, all the research we see too with like uh the company dove that talks about like all the pressure of girls now especially having instagram and online and tiktok and just thinking about that too of like how everyone just always looks so thin and what that's doing to young people specifically girls and i'm just like like i have two cousins who are 13 and 11 um and I have one of them, the 11-year-old, just, like, doesn't care about anybody's opinion. Like, she could not <laughs> care less. She's, like, whatever. This is who I am. She, like, got a rotary, rotary phone for Christmas. She's, like, very <laughs> much, like, in her world, And I love that for her. Her older sister is very much, like, already feeding into that that pressure of going to high school and fitting in and looking a certain way. And I've been trying to have that conversation with her. Obviously not telling everything I've been through. Just like, your body is good enough. You look good enough, and just saying things to her. And my aunt's like, the way you talk to my girls, why don't you talk to yourself like that? I was like, that is a great question for therapy, (laughs) Kathy. But (laughs) I just think about that too, like how would I talk to like young me, my friends? You know, I always like I see people who I follow online, and I have friends who are like bigger people, and I think they look great. And I would never ever say the shit I say to myself to them. But I'm like, but why do I hold myself to this like level of like I need to be? Thin.
1: Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I have a 15 year old sister, and I've tried to be very open with her about like my experience and the kind of long term repercussions of that. My eating disorder peaked in high school. Um, and I probably still haven't completely stopped restricting. um So we're working on it. But even And, like, I was never formally diagnosed. Um, Mm -hmm. My weight never got low enough to, like, really give red flags to people. Um, And, like, even still, I have heart problems. I have bone density problems. Like, so I guess fighting against that, like, you have to look a certain way. You have to Uh get, quote, unquote, sick enough for it to be serious enough to warrant help, all those types of problems um but she did a project she got to choose like a topic in her health class to do a project on and she chose eating disorders and she came to one and she was like do you know they have the highest mortality rate of any um like mental health problem and I was like yeah mm-hmm. yeah there's they're super deadly <laughs> um and we kind of just encourage dieting at any at any turn say that it's like mm-hmm. something that anybody could try and a lot of my eating disorder came from you know, my mom never told me anything about my body. She never um, like suggested that I diet or eat a certain way. It was never like mentioned or brought up, mm-hmm. but she was always dieting to some degree or right. making little comments about like what she needed to eat or what she shouldn't eat that day. Um, and so a lot of my eating disorder came from like that control piece. You know, I was in high school. School was hard. I had to hold on to something. Mm-hmm. And I was like so scared that if I didn't start these habits now, I was gonna be in that struggle later mm-hmm. and like need to like learn how to diet later. So I was like, well, if I can just manage this and control uh, this right now, then I won't have to worry about it later. I'll just you're have getting, these habits you're, instilled. You're so I'll be good to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which is not the case. And yeah, this idea that oh, I'll be happier if I'm thinner, like I will be less happy if I'm thinner because that means that I'm devoting a large portion of my mental energy and bandwidth to controlling what I'm eating. And actually, my life is a lot better if I'm like three sizes bigger because I can focus my energy on things that are actually important and valuable to me. And I'm like healing my bones and my heart.
0: (laughs) That's so interesting because I'm just like, same, like I've never been formally diagnosed because I'm in a curvier body. So no one... I think my therapist is the first person was like no like you have one (laughs) like you (laughs) told me this this qualifies yeah but I think that's it too like eating disorders just look so different for so many people and it's like and it's always like steeped in different things for people but it's just yeah that's I knew the thing about like it's the most deadly mental health thing for girls because it's just like and and my eating sort of peaked in college and I don't know if I've told the story but like I was I had it's not funny but I look back and I'm like Brianna how are you <laughs> um when I was a sophomore in college so 19 1920, um I ordered diet pills off the internet don't ask me where they were from don't ask me what kind they were because I don't remember um but I ordered them in bulk, which I do, that I remember. <laughs> and I was taking them religiously. Like, I look at photos and I'm like, holy shit. Um, and it got so bad that, like, one of my friends was like, you're going to die. So this, at one point, I like, stopped eating, was just still taking the pills. Like, I was just like, I need to be thinner. And she took them and she flushed them. And when I tell you I went through like a full ass withdrawal for a whole weekend, like she stayed with me. It's like she held her phone like 911 was constantly on her screen just in case of like whatever happened. But she was like withdrawal, shaking, sweating, clamminess, sweaty hands, like the vomiting, headache, like the whole thing of like God knows what I've been putting in my body. But it said it would make me thin. And so I think about that, like what you just said, like it's the most deadly because it's like if, if this is the thing you've, you've harped on for so long, you will do anything to make it happen. And so I always think about that. I'm like, 19-year-old Brie, God, like you were just testing fate and like thinking of like everything I've done in those last, oh my gosh, 20 years. No, we're not going to round to 20. We're going to say 15. <laughs> um, in those last 15 years of like everything I've gotten to do, I'm just like I would have missed it all just to be thin just being
1: be in a casket thin. Yeah, no, I've um, heard stories of people who work uh, with primarily like POC, low-income women who have diabetes and they'll refuse to take their like life-saving diabetes medication because one of the side effects is weight gain. Mm-hmm. And it's like we're so concerned with weight and like thinking that losing weight means we're healthy to the detriment of our actual real-life health. Mm-hmm. It's so dangerous
0: want it to not be this hard <laughs> like I just I hope that someone listens and just is like I'm not alone and I'm like you're not and this is hard and this sucks and, and healing isn't linear and force isn't linear and we should just be doing yoga to feel better <laughs> yeah whatever, and whatever way that looks like for us
1: mm-hmm. and those comments come from everywhere like I think earlier you said no one had ever commented on your body and it's so just like luck of the draw like mm-hmm. um because I'm like but like I, you're
0: saying it, it might not have been my family but society in general was commenting on my body
1: mm-hmm. and even if you're like I'm thin so I come from like that experience and I'll get I worked at a Texan restaurant for a long time so the amount of comments I got from white ladies being like oh you must not eat the food here like what do you order off the menu to like look like that etc 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 I had one guy because I worked at the same restaurant for a really long time, like all the mm-hmm. way through high school, through college. And I had one guy at the bar um, like a couple of years ago. And he was like, oh, you've worked here for a really long time. Right. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, yeah, I remember when you were thin or like when you were skinny. And I was like, <laughs> excuse me. And his wife like slapped him on the arm. Like, why would you say that? And I was like, I'm like going to laugh this off because you're just you're just silly, a silly man. But. Ew, comment
0: got comment on my body and how it looks. Fucking yeah. men, man. Oh. But I also think about that too. Cause my doctor, my doctor, my therapist was like, is it for the gaze of anybody else? make like, oh, I don't give a shit what people think of my body. <laughs> so I also don't know where this comes from. Like you're saying, like this guy commenting. I was like, that's never also been my concern. So but for a long time I when I was younger, I really thought like if I was thinner, people would want to date me. I have moved out of that because now I'm like, <laughs> I have never had any problem getting anything so that's not that's not the issue um but I think about that too if like I think about all the people who are like if i was a sinner I would get picked and all this stuff so I'm like that's such a detrimental place to come to to come from as well so it's just like honey your worth is not tied to your weight which there are times I say thing out loud and I'm like oh that's a that's a therapist answer I should really <laughs> take that advice but yeah yeah and then don't even get me started on like the fact that they're trying to do weight loss surgery on kids now like ages 12 and 13 I'm like what a friend of a friend she's 25 she just had it done last year And I'm like that's so young to me still to get like your yeah. body your brain just finished developing at 25 like your body is still I'm just always like wow we're just really and also like weight loss surgery is super dangerous mm-hmm. it's not always successful like you could Lose away, and like you were saying before, still gain it back. Like it's not a fix all. In some ways, I was like,
1: oh, yeah. And there's so many problems that can come from it. I've like done a bit of research on this, just listening to podcasts and things like that. And like, there's really high rates of addiction with some kinds of weight loss surgeries mm. because the way you metabolize alcohol completely changes. And so there's people who have like never had a problem with substance abuse, and like after having a weight loss surgery, now they have a problem. Mm. Um, Also, it's really hard to nourish yourself afterward, like Mm -hmm. little things like hydration. Like once your stomach, if you do the ones where they shrink your stomach or chop parts of it off or stable Mm -hmm. parts of it closed or whatever, um, you have to be so mindful of your intake. Because if you let yourself get to a a point where you're too thirsty, like it's too late because you can't just chug water because your Mm -hmm. stomach is big enough to intake that water. And so you'll have to go to the hospital to get rehydrated. And so it becomes so much Aftercare for the rest of your life, Mm -hmm. Um, and I think a lot of doctors are so quick to prescribe them or suggest them because of probably payoffs that they're getting on Mm -hmm. the other end. um, That they're not offering the full, the full plethora of what Mm -hmm. happens after the fact. Yeah, I was considering
0: weight loss surgery for a while, and a friend who's a pharmacist she sat me down and said, "This is what's (laughs) going to happen. These are all the things." that could happen to your body after you get this surgery she was and for at what cost is it worth it she was like you love seltzer water you probably can't drink bubbly beverages anymore you like if she did like a whole like <laughs> the things that like it's it's truly the rest of your life is different just because of this i'm like oh, fine. and you <laughs> like, might not
1: even be thinner after I, mean, I, mean, but- <laughs> I
0: know like i do a what I call Monday dumps which is just people who like it's a space on my stories of like this is where you like drop all your shit that's been bothering you for the last week and so I had I had someone who follows me and she had just had weight loss surgery and she gained two pounds back after the surgery and I was like that is so normal like from the research I've done that is so normal you're fine you just your body just went through a very shocking experience like but even then of like you're supposed to get thin right away and none of I'm like every body is going to be different and just like even reading that from her I'm like oh my god I can just I can feel it because I'm like I I know what that feel like to just want this thing to work and this you finally get this thing done and it's like it's not what you expected I'm just like oh my heart my heart just broke for her that day that I read that I was like and so I like always respond and like give people like grace and advice and support and I'm just like it is okay it is one day your weight ebbs and flows this is just this is just life right now so
1: and it's normal like that's such a common experience I think people even like with diets people don't want to talk about their failures and so we think like oh this diet didn't work for me because I couldn't do this diet
0: when Mm -hmm. in actuality
1: like that diet fails 95 percent of people so you're Mm -hmm. actually in great company if this diet didn't work for you and it's not your fault like it's the Mm -hmm. diet's fault
0: yeah. And like the whole thing about like, um, not restriction, but like the, can you do this forever? Like restricting certain foods and diets. It's like, there's like the whole like no carbs thing for a while. And there's like all protein. It's like, hi, like you are a human being who likes to try different things. We have so many different foods in the world. And if you don't have an allergy and you can enjoy these things, like why wouldn't you? But even watching that too, like Weight Watchers was I realized a big step into my eating disorder because it was points, which mm-hmm. they've changed now. But I'm still like it's still the same concept. But it's still a restriction. It's still calorie counting, even if it's not saying the word calories. It's doing points. It's like even the ones that we think are like good options for us aren't. And it's just you know keto. I had a friend who got really sick from doing keto, and I was just like the things we do to our body to be thin. It's just so mm-hmm. so heartbreaking to me as a person who was going through this every day but it's just like
1: yeah yeah Yeah. I get so many ads for Noom and it makes me so mad yes like uh the amount of the amount of co-opting being done (laughs) so it's so hard yes let's
0: let's talk about that the (laughs) co-opting of it all because it's like what's Noom's tagline it's like I gotta google it now because it's like (laughs)
1: Cause it's like, it's not a diet. It's a lifestyle change. I'm like, that's a diet. <laughs> that's a diet. You're, you're asking someone to control what they eat, which is going to signal to their mind that they're being restricted. And it's going to signal the cravings for the foods that they're not getting because the body is reacting to this supposed, this enforced famine essentially. So mm. it's going to do everything it can to not let itself be in famine, which means making you crave carbs, making you crave sugar, because that's the quickest source of energy. Mm-hmm. So your body's actually working correctly. (laughs) Right. Noom's tagline is
0: stop dieting, get lifelong results. And then their Instagram bio is 15 years of behavior. Noom, don't sue me. I'm just reading. I'm so sorry. 15 (laughs) years of behavior change, weight loss technology now featuring Noom Med, a new offering to help Noomers overcome biological barriers to weight loss. Are you doctors? Like, are doctors doing this? Like, I just need, I have questions. And now they've partnered with Peloton. I'm like, oh my God.
1: And all these places like to give the like one year out with Noom or like two years out with Noom. I want to see five years and 10 years out with these things. And who's actually, Mm -hmm. who actually lost weight with this?
0: You want research? Go, please go to get your doctorate.
1: (laughs) We're going to, we'll pay for it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So Teen Vogue just popped up and it's like, Noom is just a diet app. Our expectations are what's different. Interesting. I'll be reading this later. (laughs) the noom is a weight loss app that markets itself with the tagline stop dieting get lifelong results positioned as a life changing life change rather than a diet the app says it uses psychology and mindfulness techniques but still subscribers track their daily food intake and are promoted to weigh themselves daily many are increasingly aware that diet culture can be harmful for many quote diet has it become a dirty word To me, it seems like Noom is attractive to those who are trying to avoid diets, whether we're avoiding the culture or the harm they may cause to our physical and mental health because we're told the diets is not a diet, but it is a diet after all.
1: Yeah, like they're still trying to get you to change what your body looks like based on what you're eating.
0: It's the tracking for me. I'm always like, I'm never going to track what I eat. I get, no, that's not for me. That's not what we're going (laughs) to. I told you, Weight Watchers triggered me. I was like, I can't, I cannot track another way, like oh anyway that's it we'll have to have you back That's a tander for a whole nother day because <laughs> life but yeah i just want to say thank you this has been a lovely therapy session <laughs> uh, <laughs> a tuesday group therapy about eds
1: um is there anything you want to plug before we wrap up yeah um So my Instagram is Angelina318. I do a lot of privates. I love to work with people who think that yoga isn't for them, who think that stillness is hard, that meditating is hard, um, that existing in your body and being aware of it is hard. So if that resonates with you, I would love to connect. Um, (laughs) Amazing. Uh, A couple of my jobs, I work for Carabuena Tequila. We mentioned that this is a great Mexican-owned Austin-based tequila brand that started from a Mexican immigrant. He's from Jalisco originally, so he's from where tequila is from. And it's always been his dream to have his own tequila company. We bartended together for a long time. I've known him since he was 15. He got some of our regulars to invest in his company. So this is like a passion project. Mm. This is a startup. So if you buy this tequila, your money is going to a good person. He's not an actor or (laughs) any of the other celebrities that are starting tequila brands now. He works with a really small small farm out of Mexico. Um, Everything about the product is super authentic and craftfully made. So I would encourage you all to try it. Um, it's at carabuena tequila on Instagram, and you can find out more about it online. If you Google that stuff, all those good things. Um, we're in a bunch of restaurants and bars in Austin, some in San Antonio, Houston as well. And then finally, I also work at the Austin food forest. I do all their communications. So if you follow at Austin underscore food underscore forest on Instagram, that's me on the other side of that page. Mm -hmm. Um, I do some other work for them with community organizing and things like that. Um, But it's a two-thirds acre forest, so it's a bunch of medicinals and herbal plants that is open 24-7 to the community to forage and gather from. It's in East Austin. It's right at the corner of where, it's the northeast corner of I-35 and the lake. So it's right there off, off Waller Street. It's really easy to get to, and it's a great resource if you haven't heard of it before. Um, So you can check out our Instagram for events and things that we have coming up. I teach yoga there twice a month. Mm -hmm. So you can also look out for that.
0: (laughs) Good to know. I'm having a party on Friday. So I feel like I need to go pick up some tequila. So thank you so much for this. (laughs) This, this That's (laughs) a reminder. And it's in stores all over Austin. So there's Mm -hmm. like a whole list. So ooh, options. Um, Thank you so much for coming today. Um, I has, I has. At the end of every episode, I ask a final sort of palate cleanser question. Um, And that question is, what is the best advice you were ever given? Or what is a piece of advice you'd give to your younger self?
1: Mm. I think one is simple. It's probably just to eat. (laughs) Eat feed yourself. And then second, it's any and all advice I've ever gotten around breath Um, Mm -hmm. on harnessing the power of your breath. Someone told me that humans are the only um, animals that can both breathe um, consciously and unconsciously. And so I love to think about the power consciously breathing for a minute, Two minutes, an hour, if you're in a yoga practice, can do for your nervous system. And so take a deep breath.
0: That's it for this week's episode of The Tea with Bree. Be sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at The Tea with brie Send me an email at The Tea with Bree at gmail.com or visit the website, The Tea with Bree podcast.com. You can find me, your host, Brianna Jenkins, on Instagram at Brianna Jenkins. Don't forget to rate, review, and follow on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. A special thanks to Mama Duke for our theme music, and I will catch you next time. Bye.